Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, well, we're going to continue today in this message series. We just started a few weeks ago. We're in the book of Galatians. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group or a cluster of churches. And um, he's writing to combat uh, a problem in their theology, some heretical teaching that had come in that where they had started so well with understanding the salvation by God's grace. Remember we said last week that the, the, the recipe is... You know, God's grace plus our faith equals salvation. And now they were kind of turning back to keeping, you know, religious rules out of the, out of the Jewish custom and, and, and Paul saying, Hey, what happened to you guys? Come on, come on back. And so that's where we're at uh, today, carrying on. And, uh, today we get a little bit of backstory into Paul's life and how he got to be where he is. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'd love to you to, to uh, to open it, or as a friend of mine said yesterday, light it up, and uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up at verse 11 and read to the end of the chapter. This is Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. He writes this, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Remember, the Apostle Paul, while Jesus was on earth, the Apostle Paul did not interact with Jesus. Paul was not an apostle. At that time, he was a Pharisee. And we really don't meet Paul until after uh, Jesus has returned to heaven. Okay, So just so you, you understand that context. Verse 13, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Then it pleased Him to reveal His Son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, verse 18, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, verse 21, after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And Cilicia would be Paul's home province, by the way, where he was from. And still, the Christians in the churches in Judea did not know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. 
We thank the Lord for His Word this morning. So we're going to kind of try to unpack a little bit of, of what's happening in Paul's life. I don't think it's any secret that that you know any person who has accomplished significant things or or, or a person who's become you know somebody of an admirable character, you know I don't think it's a secret that they've gone through some you know some real trial and training, um, maybe a hardship, a season of preparation to get to where they are. Uh, you know we sometimes joke about you know you hear a you know, a, a, you know, a band on the radio and you're just like, wow, those guys are amazing. And now suddenly they're hugely popular and, and we talk about an overnight success, but, but really it's a 20 year overnight success. Like you didn't see the decades of hard work and struggle before they got to be where they are. We see the same in business. You see the same in the arts. You see the same in education. Uh, it takes that season of preparation and development. Yeah. But what, for Paul, um, you know, that's kind of what's happening in this, in this passage. He didn't convert from being a persecutor of Christians to instantly, you know, instantly preaching on the main stage. That's not what happened for him. Uh, there was this long season of growth and development. We're going to talk a lot about that, uh, in, in this message. He was practicing what would, what he would become. Um, in that time, however, he really got to grasp the grace of God and what grace really is. So we know that in, in the letter to Galatians, Paul's calling his readers, as I mentioned, back to the foundation of the gospel of grace. But like any meaningful debate, he's got to kind of establish his credentials before he can really teach on this, really speak to this problem. Um, remember, we've got these so-called or you know, apparent experts coming into these churches from, particularly from Judea, so it would be kind of around Jerusalem, coming in and teaching this, this false doctrine. And, and, you know, it's easy to get confused when the so-called experts don't agree, right? So we, you know, we've got that in COVID right now. How many things you've heard, you know, for example, you know, one doctor says, hey, you should take hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic. And another doctor says, that's terrible for you. You should never take something like that. It's so hard as a, as a layperson, if you're not in that world to understand all the backstory, it's very hard to understand what's, what's true. Who do I trust? What do I believe? And, and the same is happening here. And so that's why Paul's got to establish his, his credentials, his credibility with them. And so he's saying, look, what I'm teaching to you is not a second-hand message. I, I'm, I'm bringing you something that I received directly from God. It took years, Paul's saying, of time alone uh, with God. Not something that I just made up. He says, I received it directly from the Lord, from Christ Jesus Himself. And so it's, a, it's been revealed to Him. It's a revelation. It's a grace revelation that Paul has. And because of that direct revelation, we can trust his teaching, also because as it's been revealed to him, it agrees what others have have taught. But there's a statement right in verse 15. Let me take you to verse 15 that I think transfers from Paul to us as well, because it would be easy to say, well, that just that's Paul and that's long ago. And how does that apply to me? And I don't really get what you're talking about. Look at verse 15. He says this, even before I was born. Even, let's go throw that one on the screen if we've got it. Even before I was born, verse 15, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Think about this. Even before I was born, God chose me and called me 
by His marvelous grace. Others in the, in the Bible had that same conviction. Think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, really a cousin of Jesus, in utero, in the womb, he responded to the presence of the unborn Jesus. The Mary, Jesus, Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb, and you've got John the Baptist being carried by his mother Elizabeth, and as these two women meet, John the Baptist is like, whoa, Jesus is here. Uh, it's just a remarkable kind of moment of, of recognition. Jeremiah the prophet says, you know, God, before I was born, you saw me. David the psalmist, one, Psalm 139 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. In the secret in most parts, you knit me together. Like this, this understanding that God is at work seeing you, choosing you, working in your life long before you see the light of day. So this is the reason we feel so strongly about the preservation of the unborn. God is already involved in their life. They've been created on purpose for a purpose, even when the circumstances are not ideal, even when the circumstances are are not preferred, God is at work in their life. And this even includes you, created on purpose for a purpose. God sees you and He knows you. It's humbling to realize. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. You are known and chosen. Or you could say, I am known and chosen by God. I mean, that's a, that's a powerful thing to speak about yourself. I am known and I am chosen. It's one of those songs. Christy, what's that song we sing? I am a child of God. Or no longer slaves. We sing it in some of our songs that we, we say, look, I'm known by God. I'm chosen by God. And as I put my trust in Him, I'm a child of God. I am who you say I am is another one of the ones I was thinking. Right? Thank you. So, and I'm not sure that we can really grasp the significance of this without a reminder of what we were before Christ or who we would be without Christ. Maybe you're, you know, if you came to Christ as a young child, you think, well, I'm, you know, I just, you know, I've never really been kind of way off the track. Listen, if Jesus had not rescued you from an early age, you would be more of a hot mess than you are now. Right? A friend of mine called me this week and he was literally in the middle of a wrestling match in his faith. I mean, he was in anguish. He had read, um, he was reading the New Testament and he'd read how Jesus says that on that great final day of judgment, there are many who are going to approach Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and we did all these things in your name. And Jesus is going to say to some of them, get away from me. I never knew you. And my friend called and he said, how do I know that I, that's not going to be me. Like, how do I really have this kind of assurance that J- Jesus knows me? And when it was a, it was a good moment of grappling with his, his faith. And I will assure you of this. I'll tell you what I told him. It's the fact that you're grappling with it, the fact that you're concerned about it, the fact that you're, that you want to know and you want to be identified with Jesus is, is assurance enough that you are Known by Him. If you didn't care, that would be your indication that, that you're drift, that you've drifted, that you're away from Christ. But the fact that you're wondering and want assurance, that's the indication that your, your desire is aligning with, with God's will for your life. And so you can be assured that you're known by God. You've been chosen for His purposes. You've, you, you have life for a reason. 
You have a mission. You have value. And so Paul found his life purpose through God's grace. Verse 50, the second half of verse 15, going on to 16, he says, it pleased him, he's talking about God, it pleased God to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. It actually pleased God. God's delighted. It was satisfying to God to select Paul and to select you and me for the purpose or the mission that, to which he's called you. It actually, God likes it. God likes to choose people. God doesn't say, all right, I guess I'll, I guess I got something for Rod over here. No, God says, I've got a purpose for Rod over here. A few weeks ago, if you were here, Rod, my friend here in the, in the front row, Rod was sharing how he was able to, to invite people to the journey to Bethlehem and a bunch of people responded and, you know, he was fulfilling a God-given purpose and God says, I love that. I like it. It pleased God, he says. To reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Rod, I hope you didn't mind me putting you on the spot there a little bit. Right? Paul could confidently say, I'm known and I'm chosen by God. And I know the same is true for you and for me because let me jump to Romans chapter 8, 15 and 16. What it says there tells me this is a transferable concept. Paul writes this in to the Romans. He says, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Abba is just a, a colloquial uh, term for, for Father. In fact, um, last year, two years ago, when Becky and I were, were traveling, we were on a little hike actually in, in Israel, and there was this Orthodox Jewish man who was hiking with his two young children, a daughter and and a boy, and the boy was maybe seven, let's say, and they were just you know hiking along as kids do, and the the little boy found something there in the rocks or a bug or who knows what, and he called out to his dad. He said, "Abba, Abba," I'm like, "Oh, okay, like cool." It was just an awesome kind of very real moment, that kind of tender way that we're allowed to invite our, our to speak to our heavenly Father. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I would say this. Nothing says chosen more than adoption. God has adopted us, it says. And by his grace, you've been adopted into the family of God by your faith in him. All right. So if Paul had a revelation of grace, he really got it. He understood he was known and chosen. All that felt came together for him. Why couldn't Paul just go public? I mean, he clearly was well-educated. He had the best education. He had all the best connections. Why couldn't Paul just go public with his faith? Well, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's, well, maybe this has happened to you, where, you know, somebody who's, they've just read a book or they watched a documentary or, you know, they're just like, and suddenly they are the expert. They they, know, they want to tell you all about it because they watched a show about dolphins. And now they know all about dolphins. They want to tell you all about dolphins. You're like, okay, uh, you watched one show and probably Morgan Freeman narrated it. And so now you feel like extra smart. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's a little annoying. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you know, as part of this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I'm on some food restrictions. And, and here's the funny thing in, you know, three or four days into it, I'm like, I kind of have this figure. I'm a little bit of an expert. I can tell everyone else how this goes. 
right? What the office will tell you is that I was just kind of a little hangry this week. But (laughs) why is this? Why do we want to suddenly become the expert? And why do we kind of jump into that? It's for this reason. We place a high value on doing, right? We want productivity. We want action. We, We value accomplishment, Everyone is impressed with a doer. You see that guy gets stuff done. You see that gal, she really get, gets things accomplished. That's attractive to us. We place high value on doing. But, but, but here's Paul. He's entering this long season of preparation. He's, he, yeah, short trip to Jerusalem, but he spends extended time in Arabia. So kind of a very isolated, that time in Arabia was probably largely alone kind of just quietly seeking God. Then he goes, he's in Damascus and he's in those, he's in Syria. He's in his home province of Cilicia. But he's in this extended time in which he's shaping his identity, his doctrine, his convictions, and all that has to happen before he can kind of launch big onto the main stage. Pastor Craig Grishel of, of Life Church, he puts it this way. He says, it's who before do. I really like that. I heard that this week. It's who before do. So, you know, who you are is more important than what you do. For example, I, I may not like the way somebody, you know, expresses their opinions or the way they do a task or whatever. But when I know their character, when I know the kind of person they are, I'm not bothered by those strong convictions because I know their character is going to carry the day. It's going to be bigger. Look again at, at verses um, 16, uh, halfway through 16, and actually all the way to the end. He says, you know, it pleased God to reveal His Son to me. Um, and then when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went to Arabia. Okay, that's that isolation time. Later, I returned to the city of Damascus. Three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met was James, the Lord's brother. Verse 20, I declare before you, like I'm telling you the truth. Verse 21, after that visit, I went north to the province of Syria and Cilicia. Um, the Christians in Judea did not know me personally. Let me take you to chapter 2, verse 1. 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. Right? What's What's going on? In this long season of obscurity, relatively, God's kind of working on him, preparing him for what would become a much more demanding assignment. At this point, Paul did not know he was going to be shipwrecked multiple times. He didn't know he was going to be imprisoned. He didn't know he was going to be lashed with with whips. He didn't know he was going to be stoned. Uh, Not this stone, like with rocks, that stone. Uh, you, You know, he did not know all that was coming. But God is preparing, 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 preparing all that. It's verse 23 does tell us uh, all they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. So it's not that he was doing nothing. He was preaching in that time, but he was spending time with God in this season as well. So he was out of the big spotlight he was being shaped, he's being developed into the man of God that we know him to be from the New Testament. I, I would say it another way that you don't want to let activity replace authenticity. You don't want to let activity replace authenticity. Don't don't avoid your season of growing 
by just making yourself busy. Don't like put up that like, hey, I'm working hard for Jesus. I'm doing all this stuff. But inside the internal core is just hollow. Don't let that happen. You need that season of development so that when the pressure comes, when the, when the, when the press is on, you have something of value and worth. Don't let your activity replace your authenticity. Who before do? I like how we say it in the Bethany men's ministry here. We say, we don't try, we train. We don't try, we train. We're training for righteousness. So who you are is more important than what you do. And I think heaven is going to be filled with millions and millions of saints who, you know, who serve the Lord faithfully in obscurity. Just in their classroom or in their home or in their neighborhood or in their workplace or in their church, just serving God faithfully out of who they are in Christ rather than doing for the sake of being impressive. And if you feel like I'm I feel like I'm doing God's work, but I'm nobody knows about it and it's kind of quiet and I'm only helping one person right now or you know I've just I you know I've got folks in this church that you, you write cards. You you write cards and you send them to people and you think, well it's kind of quiet. Yeah that's an amazing ministry. Others should tell me, you know, we pray every day. That's an amazing ministry. And so out of these Somewhat obscure places, God is shaping you and using you and working in your life and will work in the lives of others. So who is more important than do? One last little thought on the who and do piece is you also have to be sure to let people change. You gotta let people change. Paul says in verse 13, you know what I was like, the persecutor, right? I think this is so key, especially you think about this, especially in a family setting. Um, it's very easy to keep labels on people. You slap a label on a person, and it never lets them change or break free. Oh, she's a, you know, she's a, you know, he, he's he's just lazy, or 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 she's just a, a gossip, or you know, or that you know that person is unreliable, or whatever we put them. That person's an addict. They'll never break free. We put, so easily put labels on people. And it never lets them come out from under that. And I, I was so proud of, a few weeks ago, we had a testimony Sunday here, and I was so proud of our, one of our young adults who got up and just shared something very real that the Lord was doing in her life, and the Lord had taught her in this past year, and her family is sitting right there, and she's talking about this very personal kind of spiritual development in her life. And I was so proud of her because there in front of her family, she's saying, I'm changing. And, and that family was allowing her to change and be something different. So I think that's just really uh, important that, that we do that. But it really comes back to this. Let me kind of bring the plane back here. It comes back to this revelation of God's grace. And I just call it crazy, amazing grace. I didn't know what word to come up with here, but I just crazy, amazing grace. Well, let me go back up to verse 11. Where he says this, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. This is not a, this is not a human idea. It's not man-made, this business of grace. And this notion that God makes all the effort on our behalf, 
for our righteousness, not self-righteousness, but our... That's a wild concept that God would love you enough to say, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. I'm going to send Jesus as a substitution in your place. And I'm going to do it because I love you. Why would the God of the universe, the creator of all things, do that? It's a crazy thing. It's It's nuts. It's not how I would have done it if I was God. Trust me, right? So grace is not instinctive to us. God loved us, we see in Romans 5, 8. God loved us while we were still undeserving sinners. That's when God chose to love you. And we defined this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. God's grace is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. We, we've sometimes talked here about living in the fog, living in the favor of God. When, when that Something extra comes your way like, wow, that, that's a gift from the Lord. So this undeserved favor, it's what makes grace so amazing. About a dozen years ago, and I've shared this with you before, I was honestly having a very hard time with all this. I was, uh, I was pretty rigid in my convictions. Uh, I would say I'm still a recovering Pharisee. I still more easily identify with the older brother in the prodigal son story. Um, you know, I still struggle with those, those attitudes. That, that can be judgmental and harsh. But back then, I hadn't even begun to grapple with the, the love of God and the grace of God in my life. And it, there were two books that people had, had pointed me to at the time that, that really began to unlock this for me. In fact, I don't even really recommend these books because they're kind of theologically controversial. But God used them to speak to me. Remember, God can speak and use and accomplish his purposes through absolutely anybody. It's amazing how he can do that, which is also God's grace at work. That was the beginning of my grace revelation. It was even a Neil Diamond song at that time that came out. And Neil Diamond, I'm not a big Neil Diamond fan. Trust me, I'm not old enough for that. But um, there was a Neil Diamond song called Pretty Amazing Grace. And Neil's just he sings a song about being rescued by grace. And I'm like, speaking to me and everything around me, God was speaking to me and getting a hold of my heart on this stuff. I wonder if you've had a grace revelation. And you'll know you've had a grace revelation when you experience these two things. A recognition or a realization of your own need for forgiveness and restoration. When you come to that place of saying, I need saving. Like without Christ, I'm hopelessly lost. That's the first step of a grace revelation, when you recognize the depth of your need. And the other, I would say the second step is a recognition of God's rescuing love that gives your life purpose. So a a, a realization of your need and a recognition of God's rescuing love. When you've had those moments, you'll know that's a grace revelation. Like when you really recognize, I could not do this on my own. I'm going to invite the worship team to... To, to lead us in a song. This is Amazing Grace. Uh, it's just a simple song that really captures captures this for us. Because when you have these life-changing encounters with God's grace, when it's undeserved favor, you will know you've had a grace revelation. You'll recognize that God's grace covers everything from your past. There's nothing you've been do- done or nothing that's been done to you that's too hard, too much, too difficult for God's grace. You'll know, you'll know you're known and chosen. You'll have a conviction about that. I'm known and I'm chosen by God. 
You'll, you'll, you'll pay attention to who before do. And then you will gladly receive His crazy, amazing grace. That would be good. My hope and desire for us is in this year of, of really just camping out on this whole beautiful mystery and the doctrine of God's grace is that, that we as a church are going to love God's grace and we're going to love God more. We're going to love people more. We're going to be more free with the good news of the gospel. We're going to be more free to care for people and pray for people around us. That's my hope and my desire. But it starts here. It starts with a revelation in my own heart of how much I need Him and, and how perfect God's love is to rescue me. And I, I would just encourage you as we, as we conclude today just to bring that to the Lord. To say, God, I, if you've never known the love and the grace of God, if you can honestly say, I don't know, I can't really say that God loves me with conviction. I want you just to invite God to reveal that to you. Because He wants to do that. But there might be some stuff that you got to, some layers to peel off your heart just for Him to get through to that. Let's pray together and then we'll go into the song. Jesus, I thank You that you know Your Word is so clear about Your great love for us, about Your amazing grace, and yet it can be so hard for us to receive it. And God, I'm just... I'm just asking today for that, for the person here who's, who's never really become convinced of your love for them. God, that in these days to come and this, these months to come, that that would become so real, so life changing, that it would be a revelation that you would reveal to them your great, amazing love, your, your grace, your rescuing power over their lives. God, let that just become so true for us. And friend, if you've never encountered Jesus personally, He's inviting you right now. He's calling to you. It doesn't matter if you're in this room or if you're watching with us online. If you're listening on the audio track, it's Jesus could be calling to you right now. If you've never responded to Him, He's saying, I'm here, come, follow me. Come, learn of me, discover my grace. I thank you, God, that it's enough. Your grace is enough. We praise you for that. We praise you for that this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your great, great love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.